0: Hi everyone, this is Sophia from the Gray Stage Podcast, and I'd like to invite all of our listeners to join the Justice for David Crowley and Family group, located on Facebook, where we have almost 4,000 members. In this group, we welcome discussions regarding the case and have all of the documents located in the files section for everyone to review. If you like, you're welcome to visit Greg Fernandez Jr.'s website called The Gray Stage. It's located at thegraystagewordpress.com. You can find his book and all the official documents for this case at his website. Lastly, I'd like to introduce you to Catherine Michelle, who's a part of this podcast. Catherine Michelle has a YouTube channel under her name. Where she mainly discusses the Crowley case. So please feel free to stop by and give her channel a like and a listen. Until our next podcast, keep seeking the truth and justice for David Crowley and his family.
1: This is Thomas, a.k.a. a mad painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. you opposed government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the
0: right. Warning! Warning! We've got to stop us! They're going to kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they a government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, for you would be when the operation
1: of the machine becomes so obvious, they makes you so sick at heart you can't take part. You can't even possibly take part.
0: And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to win the change to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine, will be prevented from working at
1: all. Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. you called down the thunder, well,
0: now you got right,
1: Welcome to Crypt Ricks. I've been thinking.
0: What's this show all about? Well, it's all in the title. He enjoys interviewing people about issues that he finds interesting and which cause him to sit back and think. Cryptocurrency, true crime, natural
1: law, the occult. No topic is off limits here. He has always enjoyed when people give their points of view or thoughts on different topics that they have researched. And what makes it all great? is that it's their unique take on what is being discussed for that reason alone and makes it interesting to him so take that walk down to his crypt make yourself comfortable and just maybe he will be discussing a topic that you have been thinking about here's your host crypt rick Oh, welcome
2: everybody. We are here. It is another Monday evening. Hope everybody had themselves a great weekend. Trying to I know on my end I'm trying to stay warm and I am so ready for spring. I mean, I this is about the time of the year where the cold just gets starts to get to me and it's been really cold and damp here. And I'm ready for spring. I can honestly say that. It's getting to that point now. And it happens every time around this time of the year, every winter. I just get to the, it's like my breaking point. So spring, I hope you are on your way because I am done with the cold for another season. Bring on the nice summer. That's what I'm in spring. I'll take anything that's warm at this point, but so hopefully everybody had a great weekend. I'm glad you're all joining and You know, hopefully we're going to have a great show this evening. I just want to let everyone know before I get my guest on that, as I always say, this is all listener supported here at Revolution Radio. So, I mean, you guys that listen, all your donations go to keeping this uh, station up and running and freedom alive. And to me, that is very, very important, especially now more than ever is freedom. I mean, that is the thing that so many people are standing up for now, the truckers and lots of protesters. They are fighting for our freedom. And I support them for that. And I mean, what a great way to support this station, you know, where freedom is alive. People can talk about what they want. There's a lot of great hosts discussing a lot of great topics. So if you can donate, there's a lot of great ways you can. We have Patreon where you can, you know, select a price range that works for you. A great way to support. We also have direct payment. Uh We also take cryptocurrency, which is amazing because I know a lot of people are getting into cryptocurrency and starting to look into that area. I know I am. So we know we accept Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash. So definitely check that out. And then don't forget, you can also check out the shop. Look for some great stuff. has got great T-shirts, coffee mugs, a lot of great stuff. And all of that goes to keeping this channel, you know, station up and running. And as I said, freedom alive. So donate if you can, guys. It is super, super appreciated. And uh, it's a great cause. So every little bit helps. But enough of that for now, I just want to go ahead and take the time to welcome my guest, Mr. Dan Henning. Are you there, sir? Yes. Yes, I am here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for taking the time to come and chat with me. Uh, I'm just going to let people know Mr. Dan Henning uh, started, uh, well, how I uh, came across it was in with the David Crowley case and him doing a lot of research, he did start the Facebook page, the Justice for David Crowley and Family uh, Facebook page. So definitely check that out, guys. It's it's getting bigger and bigger. they are almost up to 4,000 um, uh, people subscribed to that Facebook page, and there's always dialogue going on in there, and uh, pe- new members coming all the time. And, you know, it's a great uh, place to go if you want to start looking into the David Crowley case I have had, as I said, I've had Greg uh, Fernandez Jr. on here, who looks into the case. And I've also had William Rail on, who we kind of touched on the David Crowley case, too. And it's a topic that I've been looking into for a few, a few years now. And it's one of those cases I love, you know, true crime and looking into stuff like that. So, Dan, like, let everyone know a little bit about yourself and what got you started into looking into the David Crowley case. Well, thank you. Um,
3: I live in Minnesota and the David Crowley, uh, the triple homicide that took place there was in a, in a, in a town called Apple Valley, Minnesota. It's roughly 40,000 in population. So it's not a small town. It's also not a big city, but I had formerly lived there, um, about less than a half a mile where this murder triple homicide took place. And so, uh, this was earlier on when I was uh, you know, ra- raising kids and whatnot. Now I'm about a 30 minutes away from the location, but when the ha- when the murder first took place, it caught my eye. You know, number one because it was close, and number two, it, it had all the fingerprints of a, of a deep state hit or an assassin assassination. And um, uh, having two young daughters myself, uh, the fact that there was a five year old girl involved. Also piqued my interest in the fact of uh, uh, I, I you know was a dad at that age and um, had young daughters and it really hit home to me by seeing this family murdered and nothing really being done about it. So those three things really drew me into it, um, Rick. And as far as how I got it going into this case because it didn't really sit well you know right away. It was the beginning of 2015, January right. 2015 and i was uh I was working i work as an accountant, and um you know the story came up on the local news and and it just it, it seems strange how it was presented, how it was delivered and um they kind of just mentioned that he was this this gun activist guy he was a conspiracy theorist uh, a very bright young guy twenty eight years old recently married. Mm-hmm. with a five-year-old girl and so they said he just obviously must have uh, killed his daughter his wife and then himself and so right. you know, for, first of all that didn't sit right because i could never imagine a situation where that would ever take place in uh in re in reality you know basically so mm-hmm. I, I thought well that's that's odd i would never envision doing that ever no matter how bad things ever got typically with suicide cases um they're dealing with people who have been suicidal for a while. They've thought about it. They've planned it for a while. And they typically, for the most part, don't involve other people. Um, unless there's a, a jealousy thing, they may want to kill the girlfriend or the, the ex-wife or the current wife or something and then themselves. But, uh, very rarely the, uh, the entire family gets involved. So it was very strange. And so I did a couple searches on, on Google, uh, went to some of their browsers saw what was coming up at the time and there was just a handful of stories all with the same basically the same narrative and I'm like well this this doesn't seem it didn't really seem seem right I have set up and run about uh 12 to 15 I think different Facebook groups that I've created over the years um that are on the justice uh, kind of true crime mystery solving pages on Facebook and most of them will draw on on an actual case. uh, The members range between 30 members to maybe 350 members. Uh, Local people get involved and it's kind of a one-stop shop to talk about the case in an open forum without being censored. And so I set up a page called justice for David Crowley and family because I did not believe he killed himself. I thought that it was a hit. It was a murder. It was assassination and the fact that it was quickly solved in a matter of 2 days and they were already going under the assumption that it was a uh, double murder right license. right you're right
2: too because i remember i remember seeing a, a news report and within 24 hours they were already putting that narrative out that it was a, a murder suicide and i and i found that incredible like within 24 hours before they'd done any real testing, they didn't. They couldn't have had time to do testing. They couldn't have done really anything but a, a, a very quick walkthrough, in my opinion. Even in that 24-hour period, you got to remember there's a lot of different people that have to go through that crime scene from the time that they discover it, and to come on the news. And I, and I, I heard it myself, and I've heard it, uh, seen it printed in print too, where they were already spinning that narrative, in my opinion, right from the start within the first 24 hours. It was, you know, this looks like a murder-suicide. David, you know, he snapped and he killed his wife and his daughter and then himself. They were already spinning that. So you must have found that strange, like you were saying, like I did. Yeah, the, and, the, and the wording was interesting because, like you said, Rick, it wasn't that they were
3: contemplating that. It's not like they were uh, entertaining that solution as a, as a possible, you know, something that happened. They were, they were basically saying that it, that it did happen. Right. that way. And I, like you, thought, well, there's a lot of tests and things that need to be done and a lot of examinations. That This could take you know, several months. It could take a year before we find out what happened. And I think it was 24 hours they were talking about it like that. And, and it was 48 hours later, I think the first article came out saying it's a uh, double murder suicide. And yeah. we're going finalize, to finalize everything up and tie a little nice little bow on it and call it good. And so I created the page because I thought it was a hit, a, a murder, something like that, because I can't imagine him doing this. And then close family, friends, and coworkers all came out and said that this is never would have been the case. Uh, this is a guy that was upbeat, highly intelligent, very excited for the future, uh, was happily married to his loving wife and had a daughter that he adored. And they said that th- there's no way that this would have, would have happened. Um, you know, so that that kind of drew me in, and I created this page and started getting some uh, grasp uh, from memberships of people looking into this uh, case, mainly the members that were interested in this case all came from around the uh, around the country and other countries. Very, very few were from the twin Cities, minneapolis saint paul area, which is this is uh, egan it 's just a suburb outside of Minneapolis and St Paul, maybe uh, fifteen minutes south of their. And so not many from the local group, local people were involved or interested in this case, but it got a lot of support from California, New York, and London, and the UK, and other countries really were interested in this, because um, I think one of the big stories was in the UK, the the Daily Mail had one of the first news stories that actually broke the story for this case. And so it wasn't even really anything local. So it was very interesting. It just didn't sit right. And I had covered a handful of other crimes like this where, um, where it was a assassination or a hit or a government hit. And I follow a lot of other true crimes that, you know, folks call them conspiracies, but they actually turned into be true crime. Um, they ter- actually turned into be true conspiracies. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. those are the kind of things I follow. The most important thing in a situation like that is to catch it quick. Uh, to catch it quick and to look at the dispar- uh, the the disconnects in the story uh, to get on it right away. A lot of times in a case like this, it's the, they're not really starting to be looked at with different set of eyes for a couple, two, three years later. And then you start digging in and finding out all these anomalies. Here, because I jumped on it right away the day that the news article hit and created the page, it was right off the bat. So any link that I found... I put it on to this Facebook group for anyone to read, you can make up your own conclusions. Uh come up to your own uh, what what you think happened, but I just pulled everything that I could off the internet, anything that I could glean about this case or this story and put it on a nice easy to read format on a Facebook page that was open to to the public. Right. And I and
2: I remember you when we did cuz I have done an interview with Dan for my YouTube channel. Uh, that 's where I do my video interviews, so I want to thank you, Dan, for doing that interview because like th- that was an amazing uh, interview too and that 's why I wanted to have you on here because I do know a lot of people that are very drawn to this case for some reason, and as your facebook page uh, group shows, you know like you 've got that like almost four thousand members, and every time I look you 're getting more and more members so it 's definitely a case that people are are very curious about and once you start looking into it 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 really uh starts to Uh, take on a new feel for me when i started really digging into it now i remember in our last interview when we were talking and you said you created this facebook page you were getting you started getting flack right away uh when you created this facebook page so a lot of people were not happy that you created this page if i remember well and so what like can you let people know kind of what happened in that area because i do know that you know that you were saying that that they were not happy at first that you created this page and started diving into this case. well it's very very
3: interesting how it all came came to um, one of the first first cases that I recall ever is, as far as a conspiracy or a a deep state crime taking place and also getting busted in real time was the Sandy Hook uh, school shootings. Right, right I was that was the very first one that 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 I was on an internet forum watching that all take place and people were doubting it right away saying the inconsistencies there's no way this is real none of this stuff could be and then pointing out much like what we're seeing now with the war conflict in the uh with uh, with the Ukraine and Russia right. these, these differing stories and the footage the footage the video footage the fit, photos things don't line up and there's propaganda involved and so Sandy Hook was very interested to me by being able to be on that uh first round of the of the key players that that saw where things didn't uh um, jive. Uh none of these things of course made the mainstream news and to this day we're still called conspiracy theorists, but
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh a man by the name of Thomas Lapp was uh I remember the name there when the Sandy Hook was going on. This was back in 2012. So now it's 3 years later, I jump on get a page going for this justice, looking for David Crowley. And unbeknownst to me, this Thomas Lapp creates a uh, a group, a community group on Facebook saying uh, it's a group called Justice for David Crowley of Gray State. We both created our pages on the same day, January 19th, 2015, the same day. Wow, interesting. the The first articles came out about this, both unbeknownst to each other. Now, David Crowley was in this, uh, group called the Gray, the Gray State, uh, on a team called the Gray State Project. And they were, a, a group that was into looking into deep state crimes, involved with Alex Jones, uh, doing a lot of work with InfoWars, going to a lot of activism, um, conventions and meetups and things like that. And Gray State was, was one of these groups that actually had a lot of ideas and things similar to, to mine. Um, uh, opening the door, pulling the curtain open on some of the deep state, who's really pulling the strings, what's really going on here in the world, in our nation, in our country, um, and how can this corruption be running rampant. Now, I didn't hear of Great State. I never even heard of David Crowley's name before the, the crimes took place, but this Thomas Lapp did, and was a big follower of the Gray State. Now, this Gray State project was set up, Doing a lot of podcasts, doing a lot of interviews, going on site. They were mainly made up of a bunch of guys that didn't have full-time jobs, but were doing this for a living. Almost like your radio show here with Revolution Radio, there's a lot of podcasts out there that have been going on like this. They were very popular, so much so that they had a script
2: uh, written and were going to make a movie. Um, yeah, definitely tell people about that. Because, like a little bit about David Crowley because I should have mentioned that, Dan. I, and I apologize for people that I'm assuming that a lot of people know this case. So I should go back and say like David, like let people know who David Crowley was. He was the, how he a soldier, and what kind of happened to him, and how he got disgruntled with uh disgruntled with what happened to him, having to go back uh for another uh, uh service, like another term, I guess, you would call it another tour. So can you kind of let people know who David Crowley was and then how he got into doing the Gray State and what the Gray State is? Because some people might not even know. So, I mean, Yes, you <laughs>
3: yes, that's a good point. David Crowley was a Minnesotan. Um, boy, I think he was the middle child of a family of three in Minnesota. Didn't really right. want to go to college and said, I'm going to go into the, the military and went in and served a first-round tour in – boy, I think he was in the Persian um, – not the Persian Gulf, but he was in – not Afghanistan the first time, but maybe I think it was uh, Iraq. And finished his deal and came back um, home. And then had met at the army at the base. He was based in Texas. Now, uh, met a girl named his future wife. Uh, he he met. Her, she was living in Texas. Uh, Komal uh, Alam. Right. And so he met her. They started dating. They quickly got engaged, and they were thinking of moving. Uh, back to Minnesota and uh, getting married, raising a family. By this time, he had gotten a call to be reenlisted back, and uh, there's a certain phrase for that uh, uh, when you get called back, even though you're yeah, married. I can't remember it you've either. S- I was hoping you would stop yeah, you served or- your time, <laughs> you've done your commitment, and then um, he got the call back and he said, no, I'm you know I'm getting married. Uh, I've already done my time. They said, no, you have got to come back, and he also went on to say that you know what, I I had a a bad experience there on working there in the military, working overseas. A lot of, I saw a lot of things that didn't sit well with me in my belief system that David was, came from a Christian family, right. uh, knew, knew right from wrong and didn't like the corrupt things that he saw and, um, and came back and came back home to get married and actually started doing some of this waking up as we call it, or red pilling uh, people. He started waking up to some of these things that didn't make sense in life and they said, "Nope, you got to go back. Um, but if you're going to cause any problems here in the military, we don't want you speaking out, criticizing it. So we're going to put you in the mail room." Right. So he came, did his uh, second tour, tour uh, in Afghanistan or Iraq, uh, vice versa. One or the other was one, and then the other one was the second one, and didn't like it. But he put his head down, got his job done. He worked office uh, work, was not on out and the military out in the fields. Um, they put him in a mailroom uh, spot. He got to be real good friends with one of his bosses and commanders, and made made the best use of it. But at the same time, he started compiling a library of things that he did not like and things that he did not agree with. While well, at the same time, he was planning his wedding and wanting to raise a family and whatnot. Now, back at that time, the the Chelsea, the Bradley Manning thing was really big in 2009, 2010. Right. The whistleblower in the military um that leaked out those those things so that became very interesting to david and i think he kind of went followed on those coattails and says you know i can agree with a lot of this stuff because it doesn't make sense it's not just right or wrong but it's it's criminal what's going on it's exactly going on it's criminal in nature and the military folks the vets that come back aren't allowed to talk about it and whatnot and all we hear about is this 222 you know, suicides a day in the military veterans and how they can't deal with things. And he was another one like how I, I believe it's more of uh, the suicides and the military vets from the U.S. military come back home. And they've got so much to hide and there's so much they can't talk about that sometimes the easiest way out of dealing with the corruption that lies is to kill themselves because they can't really have a, a platform or a forum to get out there to be a whistleblower, to tell the right. public. To public what's really going on so i think he started writing all this stuff down and compiling everything he got out of his second term finished that completed won some uh, medals of recommendation um really was a decorated military uh uh, serviceman vet came back home to minnesota got an apartment got a car had a child his daughter name was ranny um and uh they had lived in an apartment, and up and at this time, him and his group was getting together. You know, we are change was very popular back then. Yes. Um, you know, some of these other activist groups were becoming very popular. Later, to only be infiltrated, we are change and some of these other uh, other groups that that began began um, in in earnest. Um, you know, rightly so. Like much like how Black Lives Matter started off, it all was very innocent to start with until these groups. Yeah. And then they get infiltrated, infiltrated, yeah. and 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 run, and it causes all uh, division and, and whatnot. So he was he found this group. They wanted to pitch a movie. He went back to school and, and got a degree in broadcast. Uh, boy, not journalism, but it's TV, uh, audiovisual. What's what's the word uh, to be a t- TV director, a movie right, right. person? He got that degree and really got the specifics down on how to film and how to be a cinematographer and how to do the audio, the video, and the scenes, and really had a talent in it. His, uh, his, I agree. His teachers said that he's a really gifted guy as far as being able to take this, and he was very edu- intelligent as far as IQ as well, very, very bright. Um, maybe not book smart, but he knew he had a, a, an ambition, very ambitious in life. And so he got this group, group of guys together. They called themselves the Gray State Project, and they started exposing evil, basically being good guys, uh, exposing evil on these interviews and whatnot. Got a script together. They put together a trailer, Rick. They put together a movie trailer first. This is where the yes. confusion begins. With a lot of people covering the story, they see this two-minute trailer. Rick, the first time you saw that two-minute movie trailer, you thought it was something coming out of a new um, Hollywood blockbuster movie deal for sure. Like, so yes, good.
2: it was. It, yeah, I, that's why I have to let people know. And if you haven't seen the trailer, definitely you can find it on YouTube. It's all over YouTube. The Gray State trailer, and it's incredible. I remember when I first saw that. It, it was, <laughs> I was I was I was it was just like wow. Like this guy who's ever doing this, and like <laughs> is really hitting the mark, and was going after all the stuff that people are trying to expose. Uh, and really, you know. It was chilling when I saw it. I was just like, "Wow!" And and then that's uh, I was I totally agree with what you say. Like you could tell that he had a gift for his visual was right on par. Like it was right on par with this uh, trailer. So I'm definitely glad that you brought that up. It's a trailer that people should definitely check out to get a feel for where David was coming from.
3: Yeah, it was super super interesting. Most people if not all, saw the trailer and says, when is this movie coming out? I've got to exactly. get to the to see this. That was <laughs> the only thing on their mind, and they can't wait to see it. So based on that trailer and wanting to see it and the potential for this to be on the big screen in theaters is what folks were thinking that this was, we had all, I'd say 90% of the people who saw it, had already assumed the movie was done, filmed in the can, ready to go, and we were just waiting for a release date. Right. And David Crowley went back and says, No, no, I created the trailer first. I put sixty, sixty one thousand dollars into creating a Hollywood top flight version of a trailer using a GoFundMe, I think a campaign right. to raise money.
2: All crowd yeah, all crowds
3: Crowdsourced. Like, yeah, yes. All crowdsourced. And by this time, they put the movie out on youtube the trailer sorry the trailer while at the same time was pitching the script and using this trailer to go to hollywood producers and 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 such to see who would pick it up and what would uh, be able to carry it produce it and make the film and so he used it more of a, as as a pitch as a sales pitch to get the here's what i want to do the script's already done if there's anyone interested in getting a big hollywood production deal going to do this That would be awesome. Now, at the same time, his movie was also exposing some of the Hollywood elites and some of the corruption in Hollywood. So he also knew that they wouldn't probably get picked up to have another, uh, you know, a big blockbuster in the theaters. Exactly. Maybe a smaller film production company would would pick it up. So they made, the fact of the matter is he made the trailer first. That viewing on YouTube gained over 2 million views in a couple of years, Rick. Right. Yeah, they had right two up. million views. People all over the world were watching this view and the and the trailer. And knowing the name Grace State and knowing the name David Crowley, he had be, begun to get like a cult following. Yeah. Uh, very, you know, a young, in shape guy, uh, a good looking guy, and females who watched it and and followed him, but fell in love with his charismatic charm. And guys thought he was a great guy to hang out with and to do stuff with. And, uh, you know, guys liked him and the chicks liked him. Everyone yeah. liked David Crowley. He turned into almost like this cult hero. And so he was on top of the world, you could say. And so right after all this happened, they bought a house, moved in 2013. That trailer I think they put together for that movie, Rick, was 2012. And then mm-hmm. him and his wife bought a house in Apple Valley, Minnesota, mm-hmm. a little... One level, one story Rambler in Apple Valley, and they moved in in December 2013. And they were getting their lives situated. Their daughter was entering preschool. His wife was a nutritionist, healthy eating. He was working out a lot. Both were very in shape and uh, all about healthy eating, healthy lifestyle. So that's what they were into. He was pitching the movie, and a year later, the, all three bodies were found dead with uh, gunshot wounds to the head, and they said he must have went off and you know you know killed them all. So this really got the momentum started, really jumping on. Like you mentioned, the Facebook pages those following the Gray State Project and big fans of David Crowley jumped on to the Thomas Lap created page right away because right. his page was looking for justice for the Gray State project and for David Crowley, whereas mine, I didn't know about the project. I just felt bad and felt sympathetic for David Family and his David Crowley and his family, meaning his daughter and his wife. So I created that page and I got a lot of the empathy crowd of of those like, well, how could this have happened? And whereas his got a lot of the fans. And then we found out that we each had the same page and the Gray State guys, the rest of the guy the guys in his group, the rest of the Boy, the group, I'll call it the Grey Stake Project. Um, it was almost like a small company that was like an almost like a smaller version of an InfoWars or something. And those were the guys that contacted Thomas Lapp right away when they found out that he had a page. And they contacted me right away when they found out that I had a a membership group on Facebook. And both says we want to try to get the narrative. And r- remove all these conspiracies out there because our two pages were the ones drumming up all the conspiracies. Right. Uh, as far as what could because there's no way this this was a, a, an actual legitimate uh, a deal. So something was fishy. But I thought it was fishy that they came to us right away. Well, at the same time on their personal pages, by saying how how grieve, how much time they spent grieving over this horrible thing about their best friend dying in this horrible tragic accident that happened to the wife that they know so well and the daughter that they all knew so well they were all one big happy family but right. at the same time they were contacting us uh, uh, as admins as the admins of the page thomas and myself on these different pages
2: saying and we're not oh, gotta, and we're not happy with you <laughs> we're
3: not we don't like all these conspiracy theories and all these all this conjecture and opinion as of what may have happened uh i said well I'm I don't know how I can help you out there on my page because we're just we're just it's wide open. Basically, it's a public forum for people to come and gather information on the case and come to their own conclusion. Same thing with Thomas. And they said, well, if that's not going to work, you need to give us administrative access so we can start controlling what's being said out there. So okay. Thomas Thomas says yes. He said that sounds good. You can I'll have you uh, I'll I'll create uh, a couple people as moderators to the page and a couple of people as administrators, and I'll stay on because there's, it's so busy moderating these comments and things that are coming out to kind of monitor it. But, yes, I'll assign a couple of you at administrative access rights. Well, once he gave him rights to the page, a couple of the individuals came on and deleted large segments of threads and very interesting threads and topics and photos and images and screenshots, basically, you know, evidence of this case. Right. Uh, they weren't moderating it and kind of approving and non-approving members coming in as far as who could join, but getting they were scrubbing actual <laughs> scrubbing data. Right. And so he found out just like that in a matter of an hour that uh, that they did not have good intentions for what they were doing. He contacted me and says, "You know, they just got done ringing me through the ropes, and uh, I, I fell, I fell bait." I fell into it. I gave them access. They're going to be coming for yours next, so just a heads up, don't grant them anything because they're not going to use it to monitor. They're going to use it to censor. And it was very interesting because the Gray State Project and David Crowley, was their whole mantra, their whole thing that they talked about was how to be open, how to be transparent. Um, We're going up against the censorship of the bad guys, like what we're seeing now with the Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, all the censoring that's going on. Right david crowley and his and his group and his buddies were all about transparency and how to be open, and so we both thought it was odd, Thomas and myself that you know, why are they looking to censor something about their best friend so the calls came in to me, the emails and the instant messages saying um give us give a couple of us administrative rights or moderator rights or to at least be able to monitor some of this stuff. We know that you work during the day, there's so many members coming in." We don't want you making this a full-time job. We could ease, ease the job by <laughs> volunteering our time to help you out. The right. first thing I said was, no, um, I'm, I'm finally uh, handling it just fine myself. Well, that wow. didn't sit well. Well, how about, well, well, can we be a moderator then? I said, no. Can you give us the right to be an <laughs> admin? I said, no. I said, I know from reading your posts about the Gray State guys that you guys are so busy grieving and trying to plan, setting up the plans for the memorial." um you know it's really hard to even think i said it's still still too raw for you it all happened just a few days ago and uh, i'll i'll take it on i'm not interested in your help i'm not even a fan i didn't even know david crowley as a person or fan before this happened well that's when they really got angry as far as now i'm not going to play ball with them and now i'm fighting i'm fighting these guys uh they the guys that i like and, and trust and um you know, respect for what they're doing in the real world are the ones that I'm like, well, no, I don't know if I, how much uh, respect I have for you guys. So they wanted to take the page down and delete it then. And they said, don't worry, we'll find a way. We've got hackers. We got an, we're we good buddies with Anonymous and the Anons, and we could get in and pull your whole page down and leave you scrambling. And I said, well, that's interesting. That's, that's fine. But uh, you realize I'm looking for justice. We're looking for justice in this case. Right. What, how how could you be against that? And so the next thing, they just finally got the, the day later, the memorial date to set up. They're going to have the funeral for David Crowley. And I said, that's fine, guys. I'll look forward to seeing you there. Uh, we can talk about it in person if we need to. And they said, don't even end up showing your face. Uh, you will be escorted out of that memorial if you dare show your face at that. So I took that now almost as a threat. Why wouldn't you want me there? What did I do? Yeah. So they went after Thomas's page, they went after mine, and it got very heated very quickly and it got very escalated. And so in the next two weeks, there was hit pieces written about me and Thomas, both, uh, you know, did they plan to do this page together? Did they plan to to do this and to railroad the whole justice crowd? And we were like, no, we we are the justice crowd. And another set of folks said, hey, these two worked very heavily on Sandy Hook on exposing that. Maybe they're hoaxers. Uh, maybe they didn't think the children died at the school. I said, well, I never said that. They said maybe maybe these two are hoaxers and they're part of the Alex Jones tinfoil hat crowd. So they put us together and called us the Sandy Hook hoaxers, uh, you know, that they shouldn't have any credibility because of what they'd done in that case. Right. Well, wow. so they went after Thomas, they went after me, and after it was a couple of days later that I got members of my family, got instant messages from these guys and the various threats that were coming up by saying, tell him to shut his uh, shut his mouth and shut this page down because it's 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 ruining all of our lives. And so at this point, we realized that it may not have been a government hit. It may not have been an assassination with paid assassins because at the same time, more information was coming out on the case. And we started seeing how sloppy it was done. Now, I've covered some of these other cases with uh, Philip Marshall, the airline pilot, who's, who was exposing 9-11 truth. Yes. saying that from a pilot's perspective, the things acclaimed that were supposedly done in 9-11 could not have happened. And then they found him and his two teenage children dead with a single gunshot to the head and the uh, dog cowering in the closet shot also. You know, a professional hit. It took place in Calaveras County, California, just months before this took place. So I was thinking at first it may be something like that, where they blamed it on a distraught uh, dad. In that case, they said he was distraught in debt and his life wasn't working right. He killed his family. Well, Philip Marshall was working on a new book on 9-11. A new transcript was just being sent out. He's ready to publish it, and he was on disability from work uh, as an airline pilot from United for many years and was making pretty good money on disability that he didn't need to uh, work or write books. He was trying to get the truth out. So exactly those facts. We also saw that were, that were wrong Uh, in investigating this case. The first thing that the gray state group or the gray state project guy says was David Crawley was down depressed. And uh, after finding out he was never going to get a contract deal, this was never going to pitch no Hollywood producer would ever buy it. He didn't have a job and now he sunk all this money into this, and he sunk into a depression and and, and killed his family. Well, part of my investigation in covering this case, uh, as I'm an accountant by trade, so I looked into the money trail first and started gathering the the bank statements, the records, uh, what they were living on, how much they were making, and he had a couple side businesses that were doing well. He had this that was doing well, but he didn't have a lot of expenses really either. So, his wife was working full time, and they're sending a, their daughter to a fairly expensive preschool in town—a private preschool. <clears throat> so there, there was a lot of things that didn't make sense to that either. Then I got in contact with the film company, and the producers of the uh, of the executives that 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 said that they did have a contract with David. I said, "Well, that 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 doesn't sound right. I don't like this this he said, she said." Exactly. I'm I to you do know, an interview live with you on the air and publish it on my YouTube channel, which at that time was, was growing because we were putting together YouTube videos uh, once a week and at, uh, once every other week on this Crowley case alone, and people were flocking to it to, to see all the things that we found behind the scenes. There was a lot of things on David Crowley's you know, personal Facebook page that were deleted off of his page as well. So a lot of nefarious things were going on. The police department didn't seem like they were doing their job. It seemed to have been covered up by the police captain. David's family wasn't certainly helping out. It's almost as seemed they were going along with the official narrative, which I, I found you know, any father and mother hard to believe that they would believe their son would have done this atrocity. Exactly. Yeah. And and so we started hitting grooves like that that started to get more and more members to the group and people and viewers and, and sets of eyes to watch the page. Well, I got that interview. With the president of uh, Michael's uh, Michael Entertainment Group, and talked to the the president himself, and says we had a contract, we had signed it, we were moving forward with producing it. No one at the big level of Hollywood was going to fund a movie like this, Uh, you know, Warner Brothers, uh, you know, a big production house. But we were more of a mid sized group that could do it. And we're going to go with a budget, you know, a movie film budget of $30 million to get this to get this filmed and produced and out into the theaters. Right. Well, $30 million is not big, big money, but a good size for a normal movie uh, feature movie in the theaters. Well, it's, yeah, it's well, that's why,
2: Like, that's what I'm thinking, Dan, because you think that look what David did with only like, you know, a few thousand dollars. When he did that trailer, could you imagine if they would have gave him $30 million to make this movie or a series or whatever? Like, the one thing I can say about David, he could definitely work with a budget and a limited amount of money and crank out a really good uh, product. So I would have really liked to see if he would have had that type of money, what he could have come out with. I really, I think it would have been incredible because he definitely didn't have a lot of money to shoot this trailer and he did an amazing job on it. it. It's Hollywood quality, in my opinion. I mean, it looks like a Hollywood trailer when you see it. So can you imagine if he would have got the money to do this? It would have been incredible. I think it would have been incredible, and it would have uh, you know, really
3: woken a, a bunch of people up. It would have been a great uh, a red pill movie almost like a Matrix kind of a thing uh right. for right. the for the what it was trying to sell not the not the sci-fi part of it but it was it was a fictional movie about the the pending doom here in America and it took place in Minneapolis St. Paul so he did it real close to home filmed it as if this was taking place with uh with FEMA camps and military police coming in and the uh, you know, the government having problems and the and and the citizens, you know, pushing back, revolting. Right. Against like martial kind of law. Protests, like he was yeah, martial like law. What, what we're seeing, you know, now in exactly. today's world with the protests and the massive protests and the and the exposure of the corrupt governments worldwide, not just ours, but uh, countries around the globe. So he was predicting a lot of things, uh as far as this and things that happened five, six years ago or you know are coming true now. So People are going as far as to saying that he's very, very prophetic uh, from the prophecies that he was talking about. Well, right. whether or not we believe in that, he was right because the, um, there's a lot of other groups out there saying the same thing, and and he was uh, pinpoint on. But they hear this thirty million dollars now, Rick, and and then we had, you know, we get we got all these conspiracy folks coming to our page, some of the good kind and some of the kind of the wild, outlandish kind. So oh, for sure, some, yeah, some were thinking. That Boy, if he got that $30 million deal, if they cut him a check for $30 million, maybe he faked his death and split. Him and his wife and kid are living in an island. So all these other new conspiracies came into the mix that we had to now fend off. Right. And now we had to start not censoring but clearing the story, making sure everyone's on online with the facts. Uh, and so by this time, the membership had grown so big I had gotten my friend Greg Fernandez Jr. to help be a moderator on my group and say, you know, we got to start setting the story straight on some of these things. So uh, I had talked to Comel's father on a phone call. I had been instant messaging with his sister and speaking with, you know, family and friends and things like this. So we were getting some good information out to the public that the police were not uncovering at all. But along okay. with it came Interesting. You know, the crazies and everything else. But we said, no, if they would have gotten a $30 million deal, that would have been the budget to fund for producing, of hiring the staff, uh, and paying everybody to get a movie made. This would not for be sure. falling into David Crowley's pocketbook. He would not have become a millionaire for making this. He probably would have uh, made made a good good chunk of change. But like you said, David was very good in doing financials, very good at staying within a budget, very good at crossing mm-hmm. his uh, I's, dotting his I's and crossing his T's, which means when he was getting all this set up, he was going through – legal and attorneys to get things set up properly.
2: Exactly. He was among
3: among the way he had created a couple of side businesses. He was selling used police and military gear from the military and recycling it and using it kind of for casting and movie purposes as props and was doing this as a side business. And um, he had a buddy named Mitch Heil that he was in in high school with, that he started this company with. And he was, um, you know, bound to terms, contractual terms with him. And then he started this other company with the with the Gray State and writing, producing, and directing with Daniel Danny August Mason. And he yes. was a co-founder of that with him. And so he had business attachments with two other people while at the same time winning and getting this contract to move forward with the script. Now his attorney in Minneapolis says the first thing you need to do before you start signing paperwork is to cut your business ties with these two just so they don't come out and get you later or so they don't have uh, any brush ups now. If, right. You know, he's right. selling this other uh, military equipment. It doesn't relate to the movie we're making and this piece with Danny August Mason that he's with the, with the gray state. He says, try to get your ties cut so you're send them a release legal release saying you're going to be making a movie. And once they sign off the rights, they're not going to come after and try to sue you later. And so Danny August Mason was hesitant on signing away his release. And he talked and worked with David about being a character, you know, not being on the business end of it, but a character in the film and being the lead, the lead character in this Hollywood movie. So he was all set on that. This Mitch Heil and his other business didn't have any investment in whatever David was doing and he signed it away, and, and everything was done. So uh, it was just you know, Danny hanging on, hanging on to his end of it. Well, <laughs> what we see go. here is, is, and we've got the documentation that shows that Mitch Heil signed his piece from the attorney and says, um, you know, I'm, I'm cutting ties with you from a business standpoint. If, if I make a $30 million movie, you're not going to come after me later and say, look, I was a part of that. Danny August Mason, there's emails going back and forth with Danny with David Crowley sending reminders about every month, he'd say, "You know, are, did you sign that form yet? Can you get it back to me? All you need to do is sign it, uh, get an attorney involved if you needed, it, scan it, send me send me back your signed copy in the form of a PDF, and I'll shoot it off to my attorney, and we'll get the ball rolling." Well, for at course. the same time, his producers for the movie wanted to get going with hiring a cast, uh, setting up location, film shots, film shoots, locations for this movie, but they couldn't because they were waiting on this last thing to be signed. Right. And so this, this happened in July. I guess he got the contract for this movie in July or August. And then August, he sent out the paperwork right away. He's very good. You can see on emails from David coming out and coming in, uh, that he was very forthright on any kind of emails and very professional as far as I'm looking for the answer on this. Do you have a time? for then, right, yes. uh, and then, in October, Danny August Mason says, "You know, I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm going to need to get my attorney involved to look at this." <laughs> okay. And, and David Crawley writes back, "That's, you know, that's fine. That's what I mentioned from the beginning. Um, I'm not doing anything behind your back. I just want you to sign this so we don't have any problems down the road." Uh, and
2: he was, st- and he was still trying to even assure Danny, from what I, the research I'd done, that he was still going to try to keep Danny. He, if Danny signed off, David was still going to try to keep Danny get him a part in the movie, still be an actor in the movie? Because I remember yes. saying that to, to Danny, like, yeah, you're signing away your rights to this movie, but I'm still going to try to include you at least to be an actor or fit you in there somewhere. Here's what I think the easiest way to explain it, Rick, because this question
3: comes up a lot as well. Um, I think that that Danny August Mason refused to sign that letter because I think he thought that he was being railroaded by David Crowley and writing him off. Right. What he meant that the legal the legal paperwork was from a business standpoint um, that you don't have a tie from being an officer, a board of directors, a management position, a, an employee of this company. Yes, mm-hmm. you could be a crew member. Yes, you can be an actor working on the film project. I got no beef with that. But I want to make sure that you're out from a business dealing so I can work with my new business contacts in Hollywood and my new attorney's that i'm going to be working with going forward i got no problem with you being a a crew an actor the main actor the lead actor you know whatever that that's not what this is and i think danny august mason took that wrong because he refused 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 to sign it november comes around this is 2013 davis says i got to get moving i got to set a deadline for you he sends an email saying december 16th let me know what your answer is either you're not going to sign it, or you are, but either way I'm moving ahead to get this movie done right, because yeah. I can't wait around uh, for you. And so there's some line of thinking out there that Danny August Mason wanted to be on the business side of the deal, wanted to be on the administration side that if this does make, uh, you know, maybe it grosses $60 million in the theaters and it took $30 million to make, you would now get a percentage of the proceeds, and he was looking to get rich. Danny August Mason was kind of dabbling in a modeling career Kind of dabbling in an acting career was not really making ends meet on on both things, so he was really mm-hmm. all in on the Grace State project. So he was really offended, I think, when he got asked to sign that. Well, December sixteenth came and went; he didn't sign it. And David's wow. last email to him says, "You know, I still can work on getting you a part in the film." Um, you know, they had sent by this time; they had said they were going to get their own staff, their own crew their own actors in right, fact right. david Crowley was not even going to be the director himself and david signed off on that at first yeah. i think he, he was going to be actually you know um sitting in the director's chair doing this film they said no we've got to take this to a high level person to direct it but you'd stay on you know in a consulting role but they said N- danny august mason is not going to be an actor we got to fill that role with a uh, you know with a brad pitt uh, you know a, a high actor <laughs> right. in the film. You know, a uh, uh, Matt Damon, um, I'm just exaggerating here, but they they said a top-flight actor. So
2: right, yeah. And Somebody he already with knew name. that
3: he wasn't going to be in any of it now, so he didn't sign off on it. And I think that he was either hoping maybe that David Crowley was going to let it go or that they could have worked out a side deal, but he just stuck his, his heels in the ground and said, I'm not going to sign it. So two weeks later, the bodies are all found dead, and now people are putting this together in the timeline by saying – you know, did Danny August Mason, did this piss him off enough that, that he would have killed for it? Well, I don't I don't think so, but it could have been because now he had motive. Uh, right, it's something to look at, right? It's I something mean, to like, look at. Yeah. Now, if it's, if yeah. the Gray State guys as a project were thinking of maybe being part of this $30 million deal, you're dealing with guys that don't have full-time jobs and are scratching for money. There we go, all gonna be left in the dust. So David, at least at this point, had some emails and some writings and whatnot in various emails that says that I'm looking forward to getting a new group of people as I found that my inner circle is filled with, uh, I think he said either snakes or it's snakes. irresponsible. Yeah, snakes. Yeah, he snakes. said he found out that he was in dealing with some bad, bad eggs in his own very own personal inner circle. Right. And yeah. so he made that clear. That was one of his Facebook pages, uh, posts that he wrote before the deaths was, I'm looking forward to getting new, kind of a new group of friends because the ones I had weren't serving me too well. And so the Grace, Grace State group guys knew this. And there's, there's talk too that, you know, were they in on this? Did they think, look, we can't get a $30 million deal because that's David's, but if he's dead, And we get the script, maybe we could sell it, uh, to a producer's, uh, for, for a $15 million project or 20, you know, something less, but maybe we can still take it and run with it. The problem is David went ahead as, as diligent as he was from being a business dealing and a, and a businessman and a financial guy. He also said that, um, Okay, I just lost my train of thought now. He was, That's also, right. this he was is just on the, oh, I just had it. I just knew what I was going to say. It was. Uh, okay. he, he knew he had to get rid of these guys and get in, in with a new set and move forward because he found out that there were snakes within his own group that were looking to benefit. Right. You know, David was a truth teller. He was not out there to make money. He was not out to get rich quick. He was not out there to become famous. He was charismatic, but he was out there to get the truth out out about what's going on in the, in this world. And so he knew that he had to cut ties with a lot of these things and move forward. Now, the problem is, here's the good thing, which I just thought of now, is David registered that script in his name. Right, I was going to say that. <laughs> and got a copyright on it and registered it. with. He was with the Screen Actors Guild. He had a membership in Hollywood, uh, in the SAG, the SAG. So he was a membership there, and he put this script on and made sure it was in his name. And I'm not sure if he had a will or his life insurance or whatnot, but if they would have killed him, that that script belonged to David. And so the if you get down to the errors of, uh, let's say they did have an issue with David uh, and, and did kill him, well, the, the script, if that's the thing that's got the value, if that's the thing that has a $30 million price tag potentially on it as far as a fair market value for that script, if they don't killed, it's not, it's not going, going to go to Danny, that's to for sure. <laughs> exactly. And David gets killed. It's going to go down to the daughter, Rania, who is five years old, innocent five-year-old with nothing to, uh, to gain or lose. So right. they knew, well, this is now supposition. You have to assume that the police, after not doing their job or maybe being told not to do the job, is who has the most to gain, who is set up to benefit right. from a death. And right now... Obviously, it wasn't David, Kamel, or Rania, but it would be David's family or Kamel's family that would be sitting on that
2: Gray state script next. Now, that's Dan, that's I, very true. Let me just, we're we'll just getting to the top of the hour here almost, uh, Dan. So let yes. me just, uh, we'll, we'll continue right after the break. I just want to let everyone know uh, that we will be uh, diving into more of this right after the break. I just want to let everyone know we're listener supported here, guys. I always like to say that because I think it's so important that if you can, that you help, you know, donate to the channel or to the station. I should say, I always say channel, I apologize to the station. Uh, Whatever you can, because as we all are learning the hard way, freedom is being uh, silenced. Our freedom of speech is being silenced. Uh, So it's definitely something that I I really truly believe it's something to, to support and to keep going. A lot of great hosts on here. We cover tons of great topics, and I just think it's a great thing to support. So, guys, if you can, please donate. Every little dollar is appreciated, and it all goes to a great use. Uh, We'll see you guys after the break with Dan Hennon.
1: Me, hey, who? Why do you do it, man? Why? Some kind of war junkie? I won't say a goddamn word. Why? They won't understand. They won't understand why we do it. They won't understand it's about the men next
0: to you. That's it. Holidays. it is. Revolution Radio. FreedomSlips.com. Number one listener supporter radio. The printing press for freedom
1: at a time when freedom is needed the most. I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. I will defend myself against their tyranny. Number three is my regular. I'm squarely in front of the public all the time, and they all know what's going on. We are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on
2: means for expanding its sphere of influence.
0: Hello, my name is John Wayne. And I do a broadcast here at freedomslips.com, revolution.radio, called The unequivocal Truth, DEFCON 1. Freedom and at war. And folks, I assure you, we are in defense condition, war and mission, war, as we journey perilously through this paradigm that we currently reside in. And I ask that you join me every Saturday, 8 to 10 p.m., Eastern Standard Time for the unequivocal proof, DEFCON 1.
2: The original machine had a base plate of pre-famulated
3: amulite, surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing, in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric fan. The lineup consisted simply
1: of six hydrocoptic Marzal veins, so fitted to the ambifacient lunar wane shaft that side fumbling was effectively prevented. The main winding was of the normal lotus-o-deltoid type placed in canondermic semi-boloid slots of the stator, every seventh conductor being connected by a non-reversible tremie pipe to the differential girdle spring on the up end of the grand meters. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, taking the confusion out of transmutated lunar girdle springs for four years and running. Revolution Radio, the number one listener-supported alternative media radio on the planet. All right. Thanks for listening. We took that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now yeah, we're going to get back to your host.
2: Well, welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys had a good break gotta get yourself up there, get a stretch, make a coffee, do whatever you gotta do, and just letting everyone know that we are here speaking with Mr. Dan Henning and we are covering the David Crowley case, which involves some say a triple murder, some say a murder suicide. You know a lot of people have their own different opinions on this case, and so we got Dan Henning here with us, and he's breaking down uh how he started the Facebook page and started looking into this case because. As with a lot of other people that have looked into this case, the story that they're spinning to the public just doesn't sit right with a lot of people. Now, before the break, we were talking about we're leading up to how uh, Danny August Mason did not uh, ever sign away his rights to the movie. And I was saying to you on the break that what I think we should also mention is that there wasn't just one script that David wrote for The Grey State, that there was actually three scripts that I know of. I've read all three of them. And that the trailer that we, that people can see on YouTube is very different from the third script that he was gonna, that he was pitching to Hollywood and that was going on. And I think uh, that third script was very much David's work and there wasn't many other people adding their, uh, their work into it and stuff like that. So I know a lot of people are probably thinking, I've had people say, well, they can understand why Danny is upset for trying to sign away his rights, and he's put a lot of work into this, which I do understand. I mean, if you know, you're know you volunteering your time and you're helping somebody and then they want to write you out, I kind of get it. But I think people should realize that the script that, I don't think Danny had really much to do with that script that David was selling to Hollywood and trying to get made. What do you think? Well, that's a, that's a good point, Rick. Um, he did have multiple, uh, scripts,
3: uh, scripts as far as versions and there was multiple versions of that. Right. Now, David, well, there's, it's twofold here. One is David was a perfectionist. So he was, you know, <laughs> he wanted the script to be perfect. Exactly. And So he was a perfectionist. So he, he strove, he strived for accuracy and, uh, uh, he, and wanted it to be perfect. Now, he also went out and hired a Hollywood script reader and a consultant. I think this, this uh, woman that he's using to read was based in Colorado, but it was a professional person that reads scripts for a living and tells them which direction to go, where it could be beefed up, um, where oh, it right. helped along, and basically a consultant, or essentially if you're writing an essay in your high school class, your teacher would say, you know what, work on this a little more, Take a little bit of this off, and there's a little too much fluff over here uh, as a consultant. So he had an actual consultant working on it, which also were derived changes from as well to beef up that script. And, yes, by the time it was done, the final uh, version was very different than that trailer. Now, the trailer sure. was very good. I'm sure all all these scripts, if turned into a movie, all of them would have been very good. But, yes, as a perfectionist, he was looking to change and alter. And by the time that was done, David uh, Danny August Mason was really – written out and not really David wasn't asking for for help or assistance exactly or assistance of anything he was kind of phasing him out so I think Danny August Mason thought that he was being double crossed by David Crowley after doing helping him get into uh, into all this and getting him into art school uh into his background in cinematography is basically it was Danny August Mason who did all that so right. he was felt betrayed now I think at this point although one could argue that's fair David also was taking it into his own direction, uh, and maybe that was fair. To- oh, I
2: agree. Yeah. I mean, are you still with me? Oh, I don't know what happened to Dan. <laughs> uh, Dan, I can't hear you, but hopefully I can get him back. I don't think he dropped. It looks like he's still here. All right. Just can't hear you, Dan. I don't know if your microphone cut out or your computer. I don't know, so... Uh hopefully I can get Dan back here. I'm gonna give him a couple of minutes just to see if it's something on his hand his end. I've never had this happen before, guys, but hopefully <laughs> I can get Dan back on your talking. It sounded like his it sounded like he unplugged his mic cord or something like that or or his computer stopped. But so yeah, what do you guys I mean, I'm trying to look at the chat here. What do you guys think about this Crowley case? I know that
0: uh Hello, it is definitely
2: Oh, he, okay, Dan's back. Okay, I was just about to ask the chat there what they think of the case. Are you back with us? Yeah, you know what? It just my my uh, it just dropped off completely. It dropped the
3: connection. Wow. Era,
2: so. Okay, sorry about that. It. Well, it's great. I'm glad that you're back. That's perfect. So, I was yeah, I wanted to give you a couple minutes to get back. So, yeah, we were sp- uh, speaking about uh the final version of the script and that Danny kind of thought he was getting double crossed and stuff like that. So, uh, I can see both sides, like you said. I can see Danny being upset and why, but I can also see David's point where if David's final script was his work, then he's going to want to take a credit for it. I mean, just, that just makes sense. Correct. And it's true. And but and
3: now what this also leads is another dilemma in the police investigation. So the police investigation say it was closed and wrapped up. This um, was a double murder-suicide. Right. And because there's 40,000 population in the city of Apple Valley, Minnesota, they said the community is not, there's not a threat to the community as far as someone, a madman being out there. And so uh, I had always contended that, but you don't know that. What if there is, if this was a triple murder, the killers are still walking free today. Now, this is what I said seven years ago, and I, I believe it now wholeheartedly that the killers are walking free today, regardless of who they are. Um, David did not do this. We've already found out. But in the course of the investigation, the detectives asked Danny August Mason, what is your role? How close are you to to David? How close are right. you to the Gray State Project? And his answer, according to the police records, was I'm nothing more than an actor. I don't have a role <laughs> I'm not a business associate or partner of David Crowley. That was his exact quote. So what we see now is a lie because we know that Danny August Mason didn't sign over that. He was a busy, the the co-founder of the great exactly. He was. That's the thing that David Crowley was trying to get him off of his back was a business, a business partner from a business sense. So to authorities, he says, he says directly, I was not a business. I had no business sense. I was not a partner. I was mainly an actor in his film, wow. and that's all that I was. So he's trying to distance distance himself now to the investigators, and I think he had to do that uh, to help get them off his trail because I think he's one of your suspects you'd have to look at in a case like this. Whether he carried out the killings or not, he would still be uh, in a pool of suspects because of the means, motive, and opportunity for the crime and something to mm-hmm. gain. Mm-hmm. Um, now that he's lying to an investigators, that's another red flag. So Danny August Mason has since moved from the Twin Cities. He lives now in Austin, Texas, and has left the area. And uh, the only thing that he's really said is that, uh, that, that we're a bunch of Looney Tunes and conspiracy theorists. But once again, if we're focusing on the facts, there's multiple scripts. David wanted to get Danny August Mason out of the way so he could move forward. That didn't happen. And now the right. family's found dead. And the script did end up in uh the Crowley's uh old man Crowley, the dad, and the brother. Now, what I was leading to before the break, David Crowley had a falling out with his brother. His brother is Dan Crowley Jr. Junior, right. His older brother. Yeah, he's older, but he's junior, but the dad is the senior. The the dad has a strange connection in this whole investigation as well. The son, this Dan Crowley Jr. son, has a strange connection in this whole case. Connection number one is David and Danny, uh, and, and, okay, and there's a, a lot of names here, and that's the other thing that gets people, uh, there's a lot of confusion. So it's David right. Crowley and Dan Crowley. Dan Crowley became the good good friends with Danny August Mason, and then Dan and David Crowley, the two brothers, had a huge falling out in the month of August. The bodies were found in this, uh, January and the the emails and the threats, and David Crowley finding out that his inner circle was infested with snakes in the october November time frame um they hadn't been talking to each other since August. they were on non speaking terms. This was serious stuff. We mm-hmm. don't know what happened, but there was a big, big, big falling out with Dan and his brother David. Now, Dan, who wasn't talking, was very good with dan Danny August Mason. And they were on the side of the team that was trying to get that script. We know that they were trying to get the script, not from opinions, am not from conjecture, to say right. that they, they did it. But in the in two months following, in the I think it was three months after the bodies were found, court business filings showed that Danny August Mason created a company called Gray State Universe LLC, and he filed uh, an attorney to get a a script. Not a script as far as the text, uh, as a movie script, but the official logo for Gray State, he wanted to get that trademark by an attorney so he could have the rights to that Gray State trademark logo. Okay, okay. He went and got that file. That's not fake. That's not made up. That's not someone's opinion. He did that with the state of Minnesota, and he went with the Secretary of State to file a brand new business to be created called Gray GrayStateUniverse.llc. He created a Facebook page for that, and I think he was going to take – what was left of the gray state and turned it into his own after getting the deal with that, getting the actual movie script in his hand. And so he actually went forward and made business decisions moving forward based on him having the rights to do that. Now keep in mind, he told the investigators he had no business dealings, but he never signed off with his lawyer or his attorney to cut the ties. So technically he still was a business partner of David's. Exactly. Yep. After he, <clears throat> I think, did his talking with friends and buddies and was reading stuff on our page, On our page, <clears> they <throat> came to the conclusion that that script was not going to fall into his hands legally anyway. Now, because he had that registered, that script, the movie script registered with the Screen Actors Guild, it expired in the year 2019. I think it was June of 2019 that the rights were David Crowley's. It can't be just dropped off to the next person. The next person holding the script just doesn't now automatically own that script. So a few months later that year in twenty, boys, 2016 was uh, Danny August Mason just threw in the towel at creating these new businesses and logos and hiring attorneys and whatnot. So he knew he couldn't benefit. He couldn't get anything from it. But the fact they tried to get the script and the fact that he set up these companies to take the project forward. To release the film in the movie and whatnot. And really they, also knew, they also knew there were different versions floating around of the script, and I don't think they cared at that point. They wanted to get their hands on on one or more of them, even right. if it wasn't the right one, to move forward now and pitch it to executives to get this thing produced into a big movie, so they would make money. Right. That's that's enough, that's you know that, that's more. But so. There was means and motive and opportunity and a benefit. You know, they could have benefited. And I think Danny, uh, Dan Jr., Crowley Jr., uh, could have benefited himself by getting that script. He could have landed a big piece of pie because he didn't have a job and was unemployed at, this, at the time as well and had a falling out. So I, it would have been a stretch to think he would have done something like that to his own brother. But. And
2: it's still worth you know, looking into. It's, it's yeah. worth looking into. and. Yeah. It's, yeah
3: thought you know it's something that investigators need to look into things like that and the investigation here for the Apple valley police didn't go that far they didn't do some of this background checking they didn't do the very basic elementary investigation later we found out the bullet that killed david didn't tie to him and didn't have an ounce of blood or even a drop of blood or brain matter or brain tissue even on that bullet that they found in the
2: in the the room so yeah that's and that's one of the big things that really there's a couple things in this case that really make me like it just makes me you'd question it because uh the, and it's definitely what you just talked about which we can talk about uh, a little bit more in depth but the bullet that they found a month later uh you know conveniently in the attic with no blood on it no tissue no hair no any there's there's touch dna on it and i even asked a friend of mine who's a gunsmith and knows bullets and knows uh weapons very well and he said there would be no way that a bullet a hollow point bullet would go through somebody's head and then not have any trace of hair tissue anything on it it would just come out clean and just have touch DNA on it so that was strange and then the bullet also that is in the floor that a lot of people say well David was shooting at the dog and he missed the dog and that's why there's a bullet in the floor that I just I don't buy that one I'm sorry you're not going to sell me on that David was shooting at the dog and missed and then just decided to leave the dog alive and you know it just doesn't I don't buy that one so I, I I see where you're saying, like, the when you start digging into the evidence in this case and what was done and not done, that's when it really starts stacking up that makes you question what went on, like, for sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's interesting enough because of how sloppy the case was, we have since ruled out the fact that it was professional paid assassins right. or government hitmen or anything to that effect, and that's one of the reasons I put that page together. That was the understanding or the assumption that this looked like a a uh, a government hit of a of someone that was going to blow the whistle on us on a lot of government deals over the years and they had to take them out but after you know setting this page up and, and 5 6 years later we realized that was not the case these are not uh, professionals whatsoever who committed this crime uh, these were amateurs now as horrendous as it is they're still amateurs uh, it doesn't mean they may have not have done this before or won't do it again but right. This is not a government-paid hitman who slyly came in and and did it, and slyly left, and it was a done deal. Very, There was a lot of time spent in that house, which was another thing. So looking at the investigation, we see that there's a a patio rear slider door left uh, a quarter-inch open in the middle of winter in Minnesota, January. Um, Mm -hmm. That's odd. They never really looked into why that would be. And uh, no forced entry into the home. You have to look at also as well as they must have, uh, the killers, must have known the family or have been acquaintances of the family to let them in. And so, you know, there's all these other circumstances around there, but we try to stay focused on the facts and the facts only and lead us, where do the facts lead us versus where do we want the narrative to go? Uh, We still don't know who did it or, or, or why, but we can put... Of bullet points together, as far as hypothesis, as far as best guesses, who did um, what what was the plan what was the what was the end game to pull off something this horrendous and so um, you know a, a page like this really grows over the over the years it really becomes uh good, so back to the Danny August Mason, he shut down his business plans with gray State and finally, I think came to the conclusion that nothing was going to come out of it anyway that he would benefit from. Exactly. And neither did the rest of the guys, so they all kind of went their own way. Now, in 2016, a year later, all the information comes out. There's the uh, the police report kind of finalizes. And then Greg and I both get a phone call uh, about this documentary from A&E Films to come and do a oh, documentary yeah. <laughs> on this, on the, gray, on the David Crowley Gray State. And they really were taken in by the citizen journalists that uh, the stuff that we were uncovering on the page and they wanted to do a documentary. So Greg and I had two things. We were like, number one, this story needs a docu- documentary made. This is this is unbelievable uh, for a documentary to be made. A lot, of, a lot of people were putting together little videos, podcasts, and doing interviews, but it wasn't making the mainstream. It wasn't making – any noise as far as the people in Apple Valley themselves were four years into this thing and they weren't really still aware of the, the story either. Brilliant. So, so anyway, a
2: documentary could, would be good if it was, we
3: thought, we thought be good. good. I said, this would be awesome to get out there because it could really spread the word. Greg Fernandez warned me by saying, well, you know, we might be the tools in this, in this woodshop. Uh, you know, they're going to use us to make us look like conspiracy theorists. And I said, Greg, Here's what we need to do. I vote that we do it, not knowing what the end result's going to be. Right. Because this story getting out, regardless if it's, if it's a, a slanted propaganda piece or not, it's going to wake people up and it's going to get out there. So we both agree to do it. They send out a cast and crew from LA and interview uh, me in my home and Greg in his home. And we thought they're going to be this big documentary, two to three hour documentary on how to solve a crime from a citizen armchair investigator format. Well, we find out six or seven months later that they interviewed, you know, 15, 20 different people for this film. They kept saying it's taking very long for the editing process to be done, and we'll keep you you abreast of our uh, opportunities and send you the updates when the preliminary version comes out and, you know, the file uh, version comes out and you'll be able to see all those things. Well, we didn't hear anything. (laughs) Greg and I didn't hear anything until someone says oh the movie's out and it's going to be featured on A&E it's going to be debuting on Christmas Day 2017 we said well I'd like to see this because we didn't get told anything about this Uh, yeah that's weird we weren't looking to be the stars but it was pitched to us that we'd be the leading two guys opening and cracking this case and then having some investigators uh, take a look at it and get it out there on a Discovery ID channel, uh, you, know, you know, a true a true crimes kind of a story that could then right. take it take the ball and run with it and actually try to solve it. The movie comes out, Rick. I know. So <laughs> it's, it's pushing the official narrative that David was a wisecrack, didn't know what he's talking about, went off the deep end and killed his family. And they yep. said, but there's but there's some conspiracy folks out there, such as Greg and Dan, and they pipe to us and cut over to us. They show us for maybe 30 seconds uh, a piece, and then 30 seconds later on in the film, both doing things together, and they called us conspiracy theorists, kind of Mm -hmm. nut nut jobs. So they spin us the wrong way. It was a propaganda-based film. It went out, and they introduced that film into various Sundance film festivals and whatnot to try to win independent awards. Right. So then it gets sold and gets set up on Netflix, and it starts airing. It's out on Netflix to this day, Rick. Yeah. What we've seen is that since that airing of that in 2017, majority of people who watch that movie, that hit piece is what I'll call it, I don't like it, but I do like it for one reason. It's drawing people to our page because many people who watch it that are critical thinkers leave that movie and say that none of that added up to anything. It right, is, they're right. trying to sell it. It's a sales pitch to make you believe that David did it, and it doesn't present any evidence. But it conge- it it spins conjecture. Oh, for all sure. Yeah, the film. Like,
2: I've watched that film, Dan, three times just to, because the first time I watched it, it left a really bad like a, the figure of speech taste in my mouth. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a, another chance, and I watched it again, and then I've watched it a third time since. And yeah, you can tell right from the start that they're trying. They are very definitely guiding you. They want you to go down a very certain path, and they. You can, and anyone like you said, who's a critical thinker, you can see that a mile away. Like I, I could. Like I was watching, and I'm like, I can. What I see, what they're trying to do here, they're trying to spin their narrative, and they are really hammering home any little point they can to make the reader believe that, and or the viewer, I should say, believe that. And I agree with what you say. Ever since that, I call it the sloppy mentory. A lot of people call it that too. And I know that exactly what you're saying is correct, that as soon as that came out and people started watching that, it's just drawn more attention to people looking into what really happened. I think it backfired on what they were trying to do.
3: Yeah, I would agree 100% because this was 2017, and during the entire year of 2018, we had saw an increase in membership on our page. And a lot of locals, a lot of people from Apple Valley, a lot of people from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Minnesota alone all started joining this group. And I was able to get conduct other interviews with new from new folks as well by saying, Hey, I've got a background in this, I've got a background in that. I'm in forensics, uh, I'm a former investigator, I'm a former retired police detective, here's what's wrong with the case. So then we're able to really get a lot of people involved and do a lot of interviews with uh people with backgrounds in autopsies, people in backgrounds with say, what's it called? FBI profilers. Uh who would have done something like this? You know, what would be that profile of, uh, of a type of a killer that would be into doing something like this. So we were able to get a lot of experts on on our shows, networks, and channels, while at the same time, Greg Fernandez, my partner in the justice page, says, I'm going to write a book about this, and I'm going to deal with facts only. Only going to mm-hmm. use quotes that people said to me or said in the press or said from the detective's mouths or the, from the police captain or whatever. And so in 2019, he publishes a book called The Gray Stage. And if you get a chance to look at it for the listeners out there, it's called The Gray Stage, written by Greg Fernandez, Jr. It's published in 2019. And that has been the secondary most reason that we're getting all these members, because people are buying a bunch of the books online and sending them to their friends, uh, relatives, loved ones, giving them as gifts and reading it. Now, what Greg has done, which I love, Greg says, I'm not out to make money. I have a job. I'm not out to sell the books because he was getting a lot of grief saying he's going to sell sell this book to try to make some money because he can't do it anywhere else. He said, I'm going to make the PDF of the book available online for free. Mm -hmm. So actually right now there's a book in print that you can get. You can go to his website and buy the actual book if you want something physical, tangible in your hands or you can read the PDF version, download, download for free, available free, Rick, that has all the evidence case built out that there could be a real, I would repeat, real documentary made almost from the contents of Greg's book right here because he spells out every aspect of the crime from a fact, evidence-based um, prospect uh, only. There is no conjecture. There is no commentary. There's no opinion. And he asked me to write the foreword for this book. So I wrote the foreword, but it's out there. It's available. So between the Netflix movie or the Slopumentary, Greg Fernandez's (laughs) book, which is very good, and the two websites that are up and running now as far as the Facebook, the Justice uh, for David Crowley and Family, the page that I created that has almost 4,000 members uh, seven years ago, and the Justice for David Crowley of Gray State which Thomas Lapp abandoned after about two years and had me take it over. He was on to other things. He was investigating other projects. <coughs> I'm
2: running that page myself. Okay. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't realize that you were running both. So that, yeah, okay. That's, that's good. So that's and an do, you know, do you know the, do you know the uh, web address for Greg's page where people can download the book and that? Do you have that handy? I'll pull it up here during a show. But the, okay, perfect.
3: The page, the, Greg was able to run and moderate that justice for David Crowley and family. Facebook group that's actually a membership based group. You have to be a member. And we've got three or four other very helpful moderators and editors that are following the posts, following the members when they come in, asking questions and things like that when uh, things. So I don't really have to monitor that page that much. That's in very good hands, the folks running that page. Uh, I'm the only one really running the justice for David Crowley of Gray State, which really handles the questions for David State, David Crowley as a as a figure, as a, a gray state project, as a, for the fans, the real fans that are out there that have been following him for years are really the ones in that group too. And every time we do interviews, um, such as this podcasts relating to the case, I'll post links out there as well. So that whole entire, it's a different audience, but there's more of them. I think there's, uh, there might be 10,000 likes out there on that group, uh, but not 4,000 members and you know, active members on the page, but, both of those Facebook groups are very uh, are, are the life are the lifeblood of this investigative case. No, no one has come forward to say I'm going to do a documentary and get it right. We've right. had a couple folks um, uh, say that, and they and I think they they well meaning that they want to do it, but not anything as far as uh, a high level television network docu series kind of kind of a thing. Um, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to getting any kind of documentary documentary out there about this case because of how strange it is. But I think it would have to be done in a two or three part series to digest. I agree. Yeah, uh, I don't uh,
2: think. You, yeah, I uh, I don't think you could. Yeah, there's so much. I don't think. I just I found Greg. So if you want to get the book, people, uh, anyone that wants to download the book, check it out, read it for yourself, and check out the page. It is thegraystagewordpress.com. So did it
3: through to- WordPress, and he published the book himself. It's really well done, and it went through many versions of uh, you know edits as well. There's, it's a very clean, concise book. Not a lot of fluff. Not a lot of extra uh, extra information in there. And it's all facts. It's it's the quotes of someone who messaged him, or emailed him, or on the phone, uh, and discussions we've had with the lead detective in the Apple Valley Police Department. All the quotes are actually all in there, and the rest of the book. Is the DNA analysis, the forensics, the yeah, that's a that's a whole new yeah, that's a whole new everything that you can think of that's pertinent to a case is in the Greg Fernandez uh, book. And like I said, he's not out there trying to make a name for himself. He's trying to get the the information out there, and that is a great source. We still do to this day, Rick, a a monthly podcast on a chapter of that book. Right. Hmm. And basically Which I have, read, yep, read it on yep. the air and, and comment on it. There's a, so there's a monthly podcast that goes out to everyone on his Spotify network and, and whatnot that goes over just uh, him and I. We usually have some other guests on as well to talk about the case. But we go through that book every single page and um, we do a couple podcasts on each chapter of that book. And we're not done yet. So,
2: right, that, yeah, and that's great. And there's a lot of people I when you start looking into this case that are still covering this case. I've done interviews with people on this case and i know you have and greg definitely has and Catherine, michelle has like so many people are doing um of like it like really interested in this case and i think that the reason that is is that once as i was saying at the beginning dan that once you start looking into this case and looking at the evidence and i've had people tell me when i start, first started looking into it that go to the police files read the police reports read the autopsy reports And read all the journal because there's a journal now that uh, David Crowley's journal that you can uh, access to read and stuff like that. And then because these were people saying that David did it. And if I just read the police files that I would see that David did it. And then I always respond, well, I did read the police files. I read everything I could on this case several times. And I have more questions now. Than I did before I read all the files. Like that, that's where all my questions started coming from because I'd like you to explain a lot of stuff was not done in this case properly. Like there's stuff that wasn't tested. There, like it just doesn't make sense when you start digging into this case, and that's where all my questions came from. Was actually reading the police reports and stuff. It's crazy.
3: Yeah, there's a lot out there, and you're and you're spot on for those for those who do come to the case with an interest. uh, They tend to be addicted to it right off the bat for about a two-week period because they just try to absorb as much as they can. And many of them respond back on on the Facebook group or on on a personal message by saying, you know, I didn't get much sleep the last couple of weeks because I I just can't get this case out of my mind. It it becomes addicting. But once you get over that phase and get into looking at all the details, the reports, the photographs, we were able to file one thing we did Rick was filed a FOIA request for all these various things with the Minnesota, uh, the BCA, the, the Bureau mm-hmm. of Criminal Apprehension, and the police department and the state of Minnesota, you know, all these files we got from the autopsy, the examination, and photographs, the crime scene photos, uh, they wouldn't give us the Gruesome ones, of course. Uh,
2: they're, right. they're but it took you guys a long time to get all this information. This wasn't something that was gotten over a couple, even a couple of years. You guys have been fighting to get this information every step of the way. Well, it's been a battle because one of us would supply a request and get, you
3: know, 80 pages. Another person would send a request and get, you know, 95 pages, uh, <laughs> requesting the exact same thing. And then a couple of years later, someone made a request that wasn't even part of uh, the main group, but was investigated in the case, and they sent me a couple CDs and says, you know, we got, you know, 480 pages of documentation that I got. Wow. And so we did uh, a couple, you know, months of just shows on interviews and shows and, and podcasts of just going through the new information that came out. Then we got into the much layered, the other uh, layers of, of things, and then people started coming forth with other things as well too, uh, good guys in the case by saying, you know, I – I had a dealing with <clears throat> David. Uh, I don't have much to offer, but I got this letter that he sent me once, um, and I was I worked with him in the army and the military. Here's what he was like, uh, or I'm a relative member of the family, here's what we went through. And so we've got these first person details uh, of people to 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 kind of put all this the pieces together. Right. Right. And so it's it's a very it's a large piece of work, the entire uh facet of this entire deal, but Like you said, we've 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 able to get evidence of of witnesses lying to police. We've gotten um, we've got inconsistencies and lies in the police report themselves. Exactly. And We've got things that didn't happen that allegedly did happen. And we were able to get uh, clues and investigations as far as cell phone records, uh, text records that uh, folks have said, you know, I texted David on this date or I sent him an email on this date and I made five phone calls. I couldn't get a hold of them. You know, we get those records in and do a double check. We cross-reference everything and say, you know what, these phone calls never came through. This text never was sent or received. Someone's lying. Exactly. <clears throat> and we got the phone yep. numbers for all the phones and the pagers and everything that they had. And so now we get more lies coming into the mix. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really it, it's it, it's wild, but there's a lot to think about. What I try to try to do and try to tell people is focus on the things that are important, not the not the things that are, uh, you know, the peripheral things around the case that are that are kind of important. But you're going to get yourself stuck stuck in a in a vicious cycle if you're going to look up the, the right. stuff that really doesn't pertain. But like you said, the dog was left alive, the three people were dead. They were allegedly in that house for two or three weeks. The dog was not uh, fed, was starving, and started eating on the humans. The bodies were now dismembered to some uh, some extent. And so right. that's what the public thinks, is that the dog was hungry and started feeding on the bodies. Um, but it's it's the other things you have to, to look at uh, in a case like that. And so once we got the autopsy reports back, you know, one thing that was very much a focus uh, uh, for me was uh, the missing arm of Rania. The five-year-old girl had her right arm was missing. Yes. And, uh, yes. Camille had her
2: hands missing. David had a hand missing. And
3: David's right hand was missing, and that he was right-handed. Yeah. And the gun, of gun was laying. His- he was laying on his back, and the gun was a few inches away from his left hand. Well, yep. he was right-handed, and the uh, the gunshot came from the right side of his head, and the gun was laying by the left side. Comel's, both of her hands were missing, uh, missing altogether. So, you know, did, did the dog eat just the hands? Well, if you look, if you tie it back and do the cross-reference, Comel was lying on her belly with her arms crossed underneath her. and right. Basically, she was lying on her hands. Uh, in other words, the dog didn't have access to the hands. Uh, how could they be gone? Um, would the dog normally eat a more fleshy part of someone's body first, a stomach, a thigh, You know, if they were very hungry, uh, would they go to the hands? Would a dog ever eat hands full of bones? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of, too. I thought of that, too. Yeah, like entire arm off of a five-year-old girl. You know, these are some of the questions that we had. But we get to the next step of the investigation, and we find the autopsy on the little girl shows a fractured rib just under her armpit on her right right side where the arm was. Almost like a bone was cracked or chipped or a rib was fractured. If that arm was potentially yanked out or pulled out by a human uh, a human person, uh, whether or and a lot of people at,
2: say it was the dog I mean the dog yeah, the dog gets blamed for everything in this case he, he, he really does the dog uh, <laughs> for everything but the, the another key
3: point of that is that the arm was missing from its socket, so not just the arm was missing, meaning it was bit off or chewed off, but it was out of the socket uh, right. those, those are strong muscles in that shoulder socket that suck it in. In order to get that bone to come off, it needs to be pulled, yanked, driven out somehow with a lot of force, even on a five-year-old girl. So that's not something a 25-pound uh, beagle-mix type of a dog would be doing. Uh, right, you know, right. a pack of dogs, a pack of wild dogs, who knows what they would have done to these to these bodies. The thing that we've seen in the photographs, the things that we looked at, is we have 464 photographs of inside the house from the crime scene that were taken, the professional ones, and there's not a dog food, um a dog dish or a water bowl in that house. Now, we know anyone who owns a home or a house has a water dish for the dog to drink and a food mm-hmm. dish for the dog to eat. Right. Uh, those were taken out or removed from the house. So, obviously, David or Kamel didn't do that, but... If someone took them out, that's going to force the dog to scavenge on the bodies, uh, correct? So you have to look at the the thinking that goes into an investigation like this. You can't just take things at face value. You have to think: Why is there not a water dish? Why is there not a food dish? The dog was meant to be eating and scavenging on those bodies because he was destroying evidence. Evidence exactly of the body. So. That was all meant, you know, well played by the by the killers to do certain things like that. Uh, well, they so- threw it in
2: this case. They throw like that's what kind of tipped me off with this case too, Dan. Is they just threw so much out there, like to to distract people. Like, it, like you said, they had the dog there. Then they got the blood writing on the wall, the Alu Akbar written on the wall uh, above the couch, and so they got written. That's written in Kamel's blood. Then they got. It, like I love the way Gray calls it the gray stage because it either whether David did it or not, I, it was staged. No matter, so I can we can all agree on that. And I mean, having his playlist play on the the laptop when they people walk into the room and the police walk into the room and stuff like that, and it, it's just it's just crazy how and the, oh, and then he also got the Quran on the floor written uh, ripped apart and stuff. So that's what I'm trying to let people know is that when you start looking at this case. It's like they threw everything they could to distract people into this case. Like just throw everything at them, <laughs> and it's it's just it's crazy when you start digging into it. I think that the the the, the real killers or
3: the real perpetrators would have been more successful if they would have uh, throttled back on the staging.
1: Right, uh, right. They probably right. would have gotten away
3: with this. They probably would have gotten uh, away very easy on a case like this. Uh, but and but when you go overboard, when there's the overkill involved. Uh, we know Rania was killed with one shot to the back of the head. David was shot with one shot to the head, but Kamel had three gunshots to the back of her head and three bullets that had that her blood and her DNA brain right. matter and tissue on so if this was a hit, there'd be no need for killing three times but someone who did it or someone who was part of it there was that uh, there was a definite Muslim angle I think a religious um they went after her she was. She and her family grew up in Pakistan and then moved to the United States. And so she was of Muslim belief. And so on the wall, we get this blood writing that says, Allah Akbar. Mm-hmm. At the scene of the crime on the living room floor is a Quran, a Quran uh, opened up, bloody pages torn out. And a notepad in David's office has a message that says, um, Bow to what does it say, Bow to Allah now? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, submit to Allah. Submit, submit to Allah now. Yeah, so there's yeah. three things that that tie back to the Muslim angle and the fact that Komel was killed three times. So I think someone, a member of the killing team, did have a Muslim bias, uh, or not racist, but uh, a religious bias that did not like people of the Muslim faith, and, and faith, and maybe it was because the arm was, uh, you know. Pulled off two of the little girls. Nothing was done with David, it was just a simple gunshot to the head, and he was a white male Caucasian. But yeah. the extreme cases that were done in this were to the those of the Muslim faith. And in the Muslim blood, the
2: blood on the wall was all Kamel's. Yeah. Bullets- which makes no uh, which makes no sense with the blood on the wall because there's no blood leading like blood drops leading up to like on the couch or like underneath the writing or anything, it was just, it's really strange. Like I just, there's so, not enough blood around for this amount of...
3: and David, as far as his handwriting, everything he writes, um, very much a writer as far as, he was very artistic and wrote a lot of things down and took a lot of notes. And everything he wrote was in lower
1: lower case or or
3: cursive. And then you get this blood on the wall written in block letters, uh, almost looks like by a left-handed person, the, the marks look. And so it's very you know david's right-handed once again and um there was no fingerprints there so it looks yeah, like gloves or latex thing. gloves were lo- used and that they were they were also taken from the scene there was no latex gloves or dirty gloves in a garbage anywhere
2: and you know the what's office- really crazy too dan is that tell people about the gun that there's no like you think a gun if david did this his fingerprints should be all over that gun like everywhere i mean well he, and bought, there's a, he <laughs> bought a gun and then took uh, Kamel training
3: and then bought a, a couple of handguns. Uh, I think he had in the house, and then Kamel did too. And they were working with uh firearms, uh, safety and trainers and right, what right. they were very well disciplined with their firearms. They knew how to load it, how to clean it, how to take care of it. They really took pride in their weapons. And so, of course, you get a, three people dead. The investigators come in and let's look at the fingerprints, let's look at the DNA. Well, there's no prints, <laughs> no, there's no prints on that gun. There's no fingerprints on the weapon well the only time you see a fingerprint weapon is it's when it's been wiped down so wouldn't that pique the curiosity of the investigators to say that you know it's kind of strange that there are no fingerprints now there's a, right. a palm print or a thumb print and then there is some blood mixture of david and some of the scenes in the living room there some have comelle's blood some have ranya's blood and there's one instance where there's a mixture of blood of Kamel and David's along with the fourth person. Right. You know, there's another person's blood in the mix at that house that investigators never looked never, at, at all. Never looked why at would more yep. than four, Why would more than three people be bleeding in a triple homicide? Who's right. the blood of the fourth person? They also found a knife at the scene. You know, the. Which you know,
2: had all three of their blood on it when they, when they were.
3: very strange yeah it looked like it looked like the family that the three there were either tortured
2: or abused or mutilated first and then killed later um right and they never do explain why that knife is there like they kind of just gloss over the whole knife thing and i'm like why is there even an open knife in this if it was a murder-suicide like it, it shouldn't be there
3: yeah there's 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 a lot of things that really don't make sense so it got out that you know the story was that they were in troubling times. David and Kamel were arguing. They were going to leave. They were going to get separated. Mm-hmm. David was depressed about the contract that he didn't win on this on this big uh, the script for his movie rights to, for the big deal. Well, we found out that you know there was no truth to that because he, he he did have a movie deal. The only people telling us there was no movie deal and David was despondent about not getting it was the guys in the gray state, mm-hmm. his his fellow snakes in the grass. The only ones who were saying that. And then we get an email from a real estate agent in California saying, oh, yeah, they came and looked at they're looking at homes in the area to buy. David and Kamel both were looking at homes once this movie and everything got got set and and done and got into place. They had a little more money. He was looking to move into the Hollywood area to live, to be in that scene, to be in that setting and get out of Minnesota. So. Is that something David and Kamel, if they were struggling, would be doing? Their daughter was enrolled in uh, in school. They loved her. They did everything with her. They were very bonded as a three-person unit. They started, you know, pulling away from these from these creeps that didn't have the best interests at heart. But how that got spun, Rick, it got that got spun in the investigation is that they were both being despondent and falling away mm-hmm. and becoming. Out of touch with reality is how it got spun. Right,
2: and again, david and that's another thing that people should really look into. Dan is the journal because I thought I found the journal was very telling. Now I I do admit that you can't you know journals are very deceptive because you're looking at one brief moment in somebody's life that they're writing down, and I mean the the whole something could change within the next five minutes after they write that. They're writing their feelings down at that moment, and I know a lot of people say that. And David's talking, you know, and I'm and me and you, and I've never heard anyone say that David was a perfect person, was a perfect man, didn't have his flaws, like all of us, and you can see that in the journal, yes, he's struggling with being a father and connecting to his daughter at first when he gets back from uh his second deployment and but you also see in the journal where he's working his way through this and making a lot of headway and coming in you know coming to be happy to be a father and have a daughter and, you know, he's working his way through it and they don't spend, they they try to spin it that he was pulling away from everybody and isolating. He was only pulling away from the people that he were calling, he called snakes and that were, that he was not, you know, happy with. It wasn't like he was pulling away from everybody. Yeah. I think it, I think that he started seeing what was going
3: on. The people that right. were his real friends versus the people that were his friends that were just really hanging on his coattails, waiting for him to become Rich and famous, exactly. so that they could benefit. It was like almost like following a, a rock star on the rise to fame. You got these tag-alongs, these follow-alongers that were thinking, you know what, hey, this guy will become famous one day. Let's hang, let's ride this out, let's get some of the wealth, and um, then we can ditch him later on. And I think right. that's what he started finding out that things weren't as they were on the up and up, and, um, and I started I
2: yeah, I agree. And then when you watch that documentary, slopumentary, whatever you want to call it, everybody claims to be David's best friend and they were so close and they knew him so well. But when you do read his journal, you you get you find it very quickly. That's not true. Like they were not as close as they made themselves out to be in the in this documentary. Uh he was definitely pulling away from these people. They and it's just weird how in that documentary that I found that was something that really bothered me, is that they were all so close to David and knew him so well and They were getting along. They were brothers, and I'm thinking, like, that's not the way he was talking about them in his journal.
3: (laughs) That's a very very good point because in public, in the aftermath of this murder, David had, like, 15 best friends that's all appeared on TV (laughs) channels and interviews. Very close, and he didn't do anything without me, and we were buddies, and we were brothers, and we did it all. We were best friends. And then you find out that wasn't the case. So you're only left to assume one thing is, why are you trying to spin a narrative? Why are you selling propaganda now to us to make us believe that? Uh, if you've got nothing to hide, why are why is there lies at all? And now why is there mistruths at all? And David is slowly pulling himself away because he started finding things out. I mean, his own his own family. You know, he didn't talk with his his father. I mean, said on an investigation on the on the police investigation says. I tried to reach out to him for Thanksgiving, and David said he was not interested. David said he was bummed out about not getting the deal for the contract for the movie. And Mm -hmm. um, the dates that he says that he reached out on a text and phone calls, uh, those of us in the group that went back and retied out those cross-referenced those phone calls and texts say those never took place either. The very phone calls from his father did not take place. Now, his parents were divorced, living in the same town in Owatonna, Minnesota, uh, 45 minutes away. And there's you know, there, there's strange things with his own family dynamic, uh, David's David's family. The parents were divorced, and um, the mother was very close with David, very close. The dad was somewhat, I think, uh, you get a little a feeling that a little more distant, but he was very, I think, close with his mother. She was living by herself and was dating someone, and then she died. It was seven months after the bodies were found. They found her body seven months later, and she was, coincidentally enough, one of the only people in the whole case who didn't buy this double murder-suicide story, and they found her dead. She had um, bouts with alcoholism and had some medical issues, but... Not medical issues, as if she was you know gravely ill, she was working two jobs was fit was in in shape, was actively dating and worked worked two jobs and you know she was she said as a, a mother knows her son, and she said, "I just can't get over this hump of uh, this actually taking place and so when her death comes up, it spawned a, another whole new set of conspiracy theories, but I'm one to believe that they're not really so far out there. Um, I I find it highly unlikely that her mother would coincidentally wind up dead, as well as David, within a within a year. So, you know, a lot of these things are suspect, but we're hoping, you know, word gets out, they can follow this case and uh, get more uh, information. And hopefully, when a true documentary comes out about this, it it could blow the case open. We're hoping the investigation actually gets reopened into the the
2: murder case then yeah you guys have been trying to do that for the last seven years and that's and that's what i always i like about what you say dan is like you always and i've heard everybody greg say this and everybody that you know don't listen just to you guys to you know do your own research and you you guys provide all the links and all the you can get all the information you guys have you guys make it very very available for everybody to go and read themselves you can get on Greg's site you can get this book you can get the police reports the BCA reports the journal everything everything that you guys have read you know autopsy reports pictures everything you guys make available for people to go and research and you always tell people and I tell people in every interview that I do on this case do your own research like don't just listen to one person and run with it and you and I've heard you say that too and I've heard Greg say that do your own research come to your own conclusion but you know you have to look into it yourself there's a lot to go through it really and there's is there's
3: a lot of there's a lot of things you know downloadable that we have on the justice page there's a whole section for files that you can go there and download once again it's all free The yep. stuff on my website too i've got a section dedicated to the crawley site on my website on the crawley case it's called uglytruth.info is my personal website Okay, that gets perfect. the ugly truth of some of these some of these heinous crimes and corruption that we've been dealing with over the decades and there's a prominent you know, link for the David Crowley case right there. There's a, a snippet that you can download that says on audio that David Crowley said that he was not suicidal leading up to the months of that case. So he's on right. the record. Um, you can download that or just listen to it yourself. But there's there's various footage and, um, you know, video and audio and documents that it's all available to download. And we've been trying to get it all together into one spot to get a master master spot but there's a lot of it out there most of it's in duplicate and triplicate so between all of us we've got it all out there but just right. hunting and pecking around there's there's information that's very very interesting um out there uh there's a couple i mean the police department themselves we've been in contact with the lead detective but that's not to say that we haven't had uh emails or or correspondence with other people as well i've been what i've been kind of waiting, waiting to do on a case like this so you have to kind of wait Till police on the force get into retirement, and then more apt to talk on a case like this. Now right, it's seven right. years later, and you st- still have to follow the city council news, the Apple Valley newspaper, to see if someone's retiring, going into a new job, stepping down out of their role. They've been there 20, 30 years on the police force, and um, they're really bound to not say anything about a case while they're employed. I'm sure they they hang that retirement fund over their head, and Use that as a threat to say you can't talk about this case. We're going to start pulling things, benefits from you if you do. But once they retire and they're not connected to the force, they're available. And so I reached out with one individual, one of the detectives who was the first on the scene, one of the uh, law enforcement. And um, and he said he was interested in talking about the case. I said I'd like to get some more more details, um, You know, nothing earth-shattering, but just – your viewpoint. Uh, he was the gentleman that went around the back on the first on the scene and and put into his audio on the 911 call uh, and said onto the dispatch the door is slightly ajar in the back it's unlocked uh, going into the house and the house smells awful human flesh decaying. Uh, when he retired, I said I'd like to you know a little know a little bit more about that not the gruesome stuff but what was it like going to a case like this? The city of Apple Valley gets one homicide per year the average very right. Little, right very low crime rate. And I would love to ask a gentleman like him, what's it like going to a scene with there's three dead bodies? You know, what is that? You know, oh you for sure, yeah. When the, when you're used to dealing with one a year, right? I stumble upon three.
2: I come, agree, oh. Dan. Like that. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, Dan. I, I I'm just running out of time. I wish I had you for a third hour. I really do uh but i would agree i think that would be an amazing if you could speak to that gentleman that so, police officer just, just to wrap up rick yep he, you got one he, minute dan
3: <laughs> he initially said he would do it and wanted to meet for coffee then he walked to to his boss uh later at the department and says no um wow. uh, please don't call please don't talk to me don't reach out to me anymore i'm not going to do anything for you so that's that's how the things change
2: but that's a good summary of uh, oh for sure yeah i want hours yeah, thank you so much. Like I said, I wish I had you for a third hour, Dan. You're always welcome back if you want to come back in another time and we can talk more about it. And uh, I want to thank everybody for joining me this Monday. I, I, I super appreciate all of you guys uh, coming and checking out my show and giving it a listen. I think we cover a lot of great topics. And I just want to let everybody know that right after this, we have the Fenton Perspective. So definitely, you know, check it out. Great show. And on Studio B, we have The Tipping Point with Scott McKay. So definitely check those uh, out. Great hosts, great stuff they cover. Thank you, Dan, for coming on and uh, breaking this case down with us. Have a great day, or great evening, guys, and stay safe. Thank you.
1: Radio, every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, on Studio B, for Momentary Zen, with host Zen Garcia, at freedomsteps.com. The People Station. This is Thomas, a.k.a. a Mad Painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's all right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs, opposed government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to
0: expect us. We're already here.
1: I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio.
0: Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mysteries, cryptocurrency, and thought-provoking interviews. Then check out Crypt Ricks I've Been Thinking on YouTube, or every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Studio A, at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Welcome to the Crypt.
1: What's up, everybody? This is Ross from Planet X Filmworks channel on YouTube and the Zodiac Files True Crime series. Check it out. And shout out to Greg and the Grey Stage channel. Their content is amazing.